Well, we are looking at great prayers of the Bible. And uh, we spent a long time looking at a number of Old Testament prayers. And then for Lent here, we moved to the New Testament, and we've been looking at prayers of Jesus. Last week, I talked about the prayer life of Jesus. What did his prayer life look like? And uh, today we're going to look at one of his prayers. We actually don't have that many of the prayers of Jesus really written out. By far, today's is the longest. It's the the biggest section of prayer that we have. It's actually the entire of John chapter 7. If you you want, you might want to follow along in your Bibles or in the Pew Bibles or an app on your phone. Um, This section of John is called the Upper Room Discourse. Okay, so what happens in, in the Gospel of John is Jesus gets to Monday Thursday, and then he does a whole bunch of teaching. And ch- in fact, chapters 13 through 16, four chapters of Jesus teaching in the upper room. It's almost like time slows down in the upper room in the Gospel of John. And then in chapter 17, Jesus prays a prayer. And uh, so it's, it's sometimes called the upper room discourse. And so this is called sometimes the upper room prayer. Sometimes it's called the farewell prayer. And it's also called the farewell discourse. But Jesus takes some time to pray. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for those who will follow the disciples. And so this is also sometimes called the high priestly prayer. Because Jesus is sort of in this prayer functioning as a high priest getting ready to take care of his disciples. Now, now think about the moment. Jesus is going to die tomorrow. And he knows that. Okay? He, he knows what's coming. And he knows he's going to be leaving these disciples. This is not going to be an easy, an easy time for the disciples. As much as he's tried to prep them, they have not been able to hear the reality that he's going to be dying and so in the upper room, it's like, it's like in John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives them a graduate course in discipleship. Here's what it really means to follow me. And if you follow along in the prayer then, uh, you actually find that, that he's summarizing his teaching of the upper room. So 13 through 16 is a farewell discourse. But then the prayer sort of highlights the main parts of what he has already said before, in fact, highlights a lot of what Jesus has said in his ministry. And then it's important in the Gospel of John then, because right after this, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he's arrested there. And then it's like instead of five chapters to take up the upper room, then the Gospel starts flying through all these events. And uh, so this is an important hinge in the Gospel of John. Now, so I'm going to read it in sections because it is in sections. It's sort of Jesus prays for himself, prays for the disciples, and then he prays for those who will follow the disciples. But as I do that, also be in the back of your head, be thinking about the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Because some people have actually called this the Lord's Lord's Prayer. He actually sort of follows the Lord's Prayer outline in this prayer. For instance, the Lord's Prayer starts, Our Father who art in heaven... But I'm about to read, it says, Jesus lifted his eyes towards heaven and he says, Father. So Jesus actually starts this prayer just like the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Well, he talks about glorifying the Son and the Son glorifying, so on and so forth. So as you you kind of hear the echoes of the Lord's Prayer as we read this high priestly prayer or um, this upper room prayer, farewell prayer. And, and, And as I read it, just imagine... Jesus trying to, you know, 
looking at his disciples that he loves and knowing he's going to leave them and knowing what's going to happen next and knowing how hard the next few days are going to be for them. So I'm in John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus begins, just as the Lord's Prayer, looks to heaven, says, my father, you know, father, and then he starts to pray for himself. And this is one of those, these strange moments where the Bible, the text, thrusts us into the midst of the Trinity. Okay, how can Jesus, if he's one with the Father, actually talk to the Father? You ever wonder this about the prayer life of Jesus? Aren't they one? Don't they know? Doesn't God already know what Jesus is? Because, and, and yet... At the same time, he claims to have authority over all flesh that was given to him by the Father. He, um, uh, we, we talk about it as three persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not talked about here in this prayer, but he's been promised in the upper room. So that was part of the upper room prayer too. So even at the end, what does Jesus just say? Glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had before the world existed. Okay, So Jesus is... Jesus is this is one of those moments where the mystery of the Trinity is, is the only way to explain it. He is one with God and yet was sent by God. And yet he's praying to God and, and we just have to sort of sit in the tension of that. Jesus says that his hour has come. He knows what's coming, everybody. This is so important in the Gospels and each of the Gospels portrays this in its own way. But Jesus knows what is coming. He, he knows that the cross is coming. He knows that all this ministry, this three years that he's been teaching and preaching and healing, are, are, are now coming to the, the center, the hinge point. What's the word we use for that point? The crux, which is the Latin word for cross. It's the crux. It's the cross. He's heading towards the pivotal moment of his ministry. His hour has come and he can sense that and he knows that. This cross, the crux, the moment where Jesus is glorified, therefore the Father is glorified. And I think what Jesus is praying in this moment is, Lord, let it end well. Let it finish well. He said, okay, I brought it this far. Let's do this. And there's a confidence. Next week we're going to look at the, garden, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is having the nervous human sort of reaction to what's going to come. But here he's confident. No, Lord, glorify me in your presence. See, he also knows he's going home soon. He's going to be with the Father soon. So having sort of prayed the moment for himself, he turns to pray for his disciples. Now, I think he knows how hard it's going to be for them. He knows they will betray him. Deny him, doubt him. He's already told them that on the upper room. But he turns his attention now to pray for them. Because he knows he's going to be back with the Father, which means who's getting the leadership baton? Them. So here's the prayer of Jesus for the disciples. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm praying not for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Can you hear the love and compassion in Jesus here? His compassion for his disciples. He knows how hard this is going to be. And, and he, 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 he just wants them to stay true to what he's taught them. He's really trying to say, hey, I'm the one sent from the Father. And if you know the Father, you know me. And now he says, Father, as, as I leave, protect them. Take care of them. He's leaving the world, but they have to remain in the world. And the world can be a cruel place. See, I, I think what Jesus understands is that it, it's really hard as Christians to figure out what our relationship with the world should be. Okay, from this verse and another verse in John, we get this idea that we should be in the world, but not of it. Have you ever heard that? In the world, but not of it. But man, is that a hard balance to keep? Okay, that is a hard balance to keep. It's easy for us to mess it up. I know some Christians who say, well, I don't want to be of the world, so I'm just not going to be in the world. What they do is they avoid the world. They stand over here and I'll just make sure I'm not of it. I just won't even be in it. They like to talk about the rapture and getting escaping this world. They don't watch worldly movies or play worldly card games or say worldly four-letter words. They want to isolate themselves into their little Christian bubbles. Okay, just stay away from the world. You know people like this? Yeah. We all know a lot of people like this. They're called Amish too, right? Okay? I'm not going to be of the world. I'm just going to be totally separate from the world. Okay, and a lot of times those people end up having animosity towards what's going on in the world. So they avoid. Another sort of expression of that, but this, the same mentality, is to attack the world. Okay? So I, I don't want to be of the world. I can't be in this world. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attack this world and I'm going to make it a world I can be in. I'm going to make it a Christian world. I'm going to get all my little voting friends together. We're going to vote. We're going to make this place better. We're going to do all these things to attack the world. And so there's a, uh, instead of a, avoiding, they attack. They go into conflict with the world. But you understand it's, it's the same fundamental belief. 
I can't be in this world. Because if I'm in this world, I'm of it. So I either escape it or I attack it. See, that's one extreme. But in the end, you're, you're not in the world. What does Jesus say about the disciples? They're sent for the world. You can't be not in the world. You have to figure out how to be in but not of. Now, the other extreme are those Christians who just accept the world. They're in and they're of. They look, they look no different. They think no different. They have no critical thinking about what the world is doing, where technology is going, uh, what the attitudes and beliefs of the culture are. They just full-on accept anything the world's doing. So they are in the world, but they're of the world. See, do you see the, the tension? Do you see how hard it is to find the balance? Of course, Jesus did. That's why he prayed this. That the disciples would figure out a way to stay in the world, to be sent in the world. In fact, he says specifically to the Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world. But they are not of this world. And that, that's the tricky piece. And man, do I think Christians mess this up a lot. I don't think we know how to deal with the world. We're either in it and of it or we're out of it. But, but how do we find that balance of loving our world, being sent to this world, but also being able to be critical of our world? See, that is tricky. That is tricky. And so too many Christians, their politics and their faith just merge. And their uh, moral choices and their faith just merge. And they, their cultural expressions and their faith just merge. And they don't know how to think about them uh, critically. And I, I think it's so important. And I think the church is really sort of messing this up in a lot of ways. Now, Jesus praised this prayer for his disciples. Praying about their relationship with the world. I mean, emphasizing a lot of different ways. I'm going kind of quick through this. And then he turns to praying for those who will believe through their word. I want to pause for just a second so that everybody understands. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, he prayed for you. Did you know that? That Jesus actually prayed for you on the night he was betrayed in the upper room. Let's read what Jesus prayed for you and for me. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and they, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and I love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me from the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, These know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when Jesus looks through time and sees you sitting here in this pew, do you know what he prays above all else for us? Unity. Unity. That we may be one. 
that we may be one with God, but that also we may be one with each other. His reasoning? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Let me just, let me just make sure you're catching this. How does the world know that Jesus is the sent one? What are they supposed to be able to see? The unity of believers. Oneness. That they're one with God and they are one with each other. That's what Jesus prayed above all else for you and for me and for the church of the future. So quick, quick check. How are we doing at oneness? I mean, how's the church in the world doing today at oneness? I'm not sure that great, right? How many denominations does Newcastle need? How many Presbyterian churches does Newcastle need? What are we down to four? We're down to four, everybody. We had more than four, okay? Um, what, how many churches do you know that are divided, that are fighting over stuff? Okay, we're not unified at all. We're not doing a very good job of living up to the prayer of Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He said, how will the world know? They'll know by the oneness of Christian community. No wonder this world doesn't know Jesus. No wonder this world doesn't accept who God is. They're supposed to be able to see it in the unity of the believers. And we're not real unified. We are not real unified. Add to that what he prayed for the disciples, that we don't know how to relate to the world. And we have a church that's kind of all over the place. There's a reason why Jesus prayed these words and these issues. It's because he knew they were going to be serious issues for us. And when I read them, I can't help but think how right he was. Church can't seem to get its relationship with each other right. Church can't seem to get its relationship with the world right. And I think if those are off, it may be a sign that our relationship with Jesus himself might be off. I think Jesus captures the answer at the end of his prayer. Let me read it again. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them as I in them. In other words, that Jesus' love should be in us. That Jesus' love should be in us. Jesus should be in us, and therefore that love of Christ should be in us, so that when we relate to each other, it's, it's based in love. When we relate to this world, it's based that we were sent to what? To love this world. And love doesn't just mean accepting everything that's going on. Love sometimes means thinking critically, truth-telling. But we've got to figure out how to find that balance. I just can't believe, as I read the prayer of Jesus, how right he was that these were going to be the struggles. And if you follow the disciples along, I think they struggle with this, right? How could Jesus die if he's sent? And then he's resurrected. Okay, but then they've sort of got to get to their own sense of sentness to this world. They're sort of happy to stay in Jerusalem for a while. Jesus tells them to wait there until the Spirit comes. But then they have trouble sort of going out into the world. It kind of takes some push and some persecution to really get them out into this world. Pretty quickly, there's not a lot of unity and there's some fighting in the church. Paul's got to write letters to try to, hey, hey, Corinthians, calm down over there. I think Jesus called it. I think think he called it. 
I think we have a lot of trouble with our relationship with the world. I think we have a lot of trouble with our relationship with each other. And I think it's all rooted in the fact that we've got to come back to Christ and Christ's love. That's Jesus' vision in this high priestly prayer. He could have prayed about all kinds of stuff, and this is what he prayed about. And, and I think it has a lot for us to think about. That's Jesus' vision for us. That's what he was concerned with. Now I think we need to do the work of trying to live up to this prayer. We need to try to live up to what Jesus prayed for you and for me. Let's pray now. Lord, teach us your love and your mercy. Lord, remind us that you were sent from the Father, that you did the work, that you died on the cross, that you rose again. Lord, give us better relationships with one another across Christian community. The world may see your love. Give us a sense that we were sent for this world. Lord, help us to figure out how to be in the world and to love the world and and to seek what's best for the world without, without getting too caught up in it. Let us be in, but not of, but not out of. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.